welcome to Tea and Tattle. I'm your host, Miranda Mills, a freelance writer living in London. And every week on the podcast, I hold candid conversations with a range of inspiring women, including best-selling authors, cookbook writers, artists, and many more. We chat about creativity, books, well-being, and everything in between, and my aim for these conversations is to inspire and uplift Tea and Tattle listeners. This week, I'm joined by the artist, writer, and photographer, Philippa Stanton, to discuss her new book, Conscious Creativity. Philippa is based in Brighton and has had a career in the creative arts for many years, first training and working as an actor before developing her painting and photography skills as well. Philippa's gorgeous, colourful and creative photographs provide daily inspiration for her huge fan base of over 430,000 followers on her Instagram account, 5footinf. In her book, Conscious Creativity, which is due for release this Thursday, the 15th of November, Philippa guides you towards unlocking your own creative potential and developing a daily practice of creativity. I am so excited to get a copy of Philippa's book myself, and I'll be attending her book launch in Brighton on the 15th, which I'm so looking forward to. I'm sure it will be wonderful. In today's interview, Philippa read aloud a sneak peek of her book, and we had a fabulous chat about her career to date and what it really means to be a creative. This is an excellent listen for anyone who would like to add a little more creativity into their everyday. Let's get started with the show. Hello, Philippa. Thank you so much for being on Tea and Tattle today. Hello, it's a pleasure. Well, it's such an honour to have you on the show. I mean, I'm a huge fan of your work and I'm so excited for your book, Conscious Creativity, that's just about to come out. Yeah, I mean, I'm excited too. I got my first copy yesterday, but I've only got one copy, one copy on the table. I'd be really excited when I, um, I think, when I see more of them in people's hands. That will feel quite exciting. Oh, I can imagine. Absolutely. Well, I can't wait to talk about the book a little more in our episode today because there's so much I want to find out about it from you. But to start things off, I'd love to hear a bit about your background. I mean, I was so interested to read that initially you trained as an actress. Yeah, I mean, my whole childhood was geared towards that's what my life was going to be. And I grew up in the Midlands, so quite and lived quite near to Stratford upon Avon. So, you know, even at the age of thirteen, I'd put myself forward for the RSC and and you know work there for over a year. Yeah. So yeah, I was I was thirteen. I was in a play with Sean Bean. Really, uh, I love Sean Bean. <laughs> <laughs> That's so exciting. I was in Midsummer Night's Dream, and he was playing just one of the mechanicals. Oh. I grew up watching Sharp and I absolutely loved it. <laughs> yeah, so, and there were all sorts of people. Pete Postlethwaite was in it, who's, you know, sadly no longer here, but he played Bottom and Jolie Richardson. Oh, wow. And, um, and also, actually, because I was 13, as I say, and yeah. another of the girls who was 13 um, was Kate Fleetwood, who's, you know, 
quite a, a well-known theatre actress. Wow. Um, yeah, so I started early and that was absolutely what I was going to do. And then I got a bit confused <laughs> when I did my A-levels because um, obviously you couldn't do drama back in the day at mm. my school. Um, I think I could do an extra drama do GCSE. It was the first year of GCSEs, which I did. But in terms of A-levels, I couldn't do anything like that. And the most creative thing really was art. And I'd been all right at art, but A-level art, we had this extraordinary teacher. Mm. Um, it changed my life really and confused me I was like but this is what I want to do because even though everything in my life had been geared towards being an actress mm. um, I you know since my early teens I've been making things and selling stuff I used to embroider espadrilles and sell them to local shops I even had you know people two women working to my designs of really? my yeah and I used to you know when I should have been doing homework I'd be marbling paper in a tray that I'd nicked out of the cupboard wow you know, and, then, and then covering pencils I remember burning the paint off pencils over a candle in my bedroom <laughs> <laughs> and then gluing this marbled paper on because I thought I'll take them to school and sell them which I did so um I've always been doing stuff and so when I had this art teacher for a level oh it was just like but I love this mm. I absolutely love this and I don't know quite what to do and I'd been in the National Youth Theatre as well and I th I'd always been put in slightly arty productions <laughs> and um and it came at a time where I thought oh, do I actually do I want to go into art and design mm. What do I want to do? And then I thought, oh well, well I could be a theatre designer maybe, or or something. Anyway, I just got you know had one of those teenage moments where I thought, oh my god, I don't really know what I want to do, mm. uh, um, because also I wasn't academic enough to you know go and study English at any university or drama. Drama at a university was so you needed A grades, and that just wasn't me. It's never going to happen. So I just had to kind of do things in a different way, which meant I took a year out, got my results for my A-levels, which were okay. <laughs> they weren't anything special. Uh, and I thought, oh, I'm going to go and do history of design. Oh. I love objects. I love things. That's what I'm going to do. And if I still want to be an actor after that, I can maybe go into the theatre and, you know, I can just think about it then. Anyway, so off I went. And did history of design at Manchester Poly and hated it. Really, I, I knew uh, when I it just wasn't the right environment. Mm. To, like, I really like working. I like learning. And there was like one lecture a day. There were people there because Manchester was so popular at the time. Mm. They'd increased the amount of people on the course. The people on the course didn't really care mm. about being on the course. I thought, oh my god, what was for me at the time, what was fantastic about acting and being in a rehearsal room is that everybody wants to be there. Mm -hmm. Everybody is passionate about it and they weren't about history of design. And so I thought, I think I need to leave. Mm. <laughs> and, um, you know, luckily I had a tutor who was very supportive and my I said to my dad, look, I'll stay a year. And he said, why stay a year if you know you want to leave? Mm. So... I took a year out and then got some really good acting jobs kind of 
via the National Youth Theatre. I, I was 19 and I went up to live in Leeds mm. and Sheffield on my own doing wow. this, working at the theatres there and thought, right, I'll apply for RADA, which I did and got in. And so that's, that's where my life took me. Um, and I always... I carried on making things and painting and whatever, but that that's where my life took me then. I thought this is meant to be. Yeah, that's amazing that you just had so much creativity bubbling away inside you. Was your family as a whole very creative or did just, this just suddenly come out in you? Um, when I look back, so, so my mum was brilliant at encouraging mm. all that sort of stuff and... I think she I think she's an immensely creative person but from a generation where that perhaps wasn't I don't know it just wasn't I think she was from a generation that was like if you're a woman and you you perhaps don't go to university you do um home economics mm. or something which my mum did but and was brilliant at it and the year I was born she brought out four cookery books for children wow she was really ahead of her time there was nothing nothing on the shelves at that in 1973 <laughs> and she had these four nursery rhyme cookery books <sighs> in habitat and they did very well so my mum is incredibly creative and encouraging of creativity she mm. always was but um you wouldn't go there's an incredibly creative well in the same sense that I'm talking about art and the theatre and whatever she wasn't in that environment her mother was very arty I think mm. and my granny on my other side has had sort of a massive influence on me since she's died oh. weirdly but she was hugely into flower arranging and Japanese ikebana I've got all her oh, really I've got all her certificates of these beautiful on Japanese paper and stuff that she oh, um, wow. yeah she qualified at an advanced level in Jack Japanese ikebana in the 60s yeah and I've got lots of her vessels and vases and stuff so you know there's that stuff around but I think I, oh, I know this sounds very general but I think women are very creative mm. <laughs> but I know what you're saying I know what you're saying about me now I it wasn't specific I think I'm still regarded in my family as you know the really creative one <laughs> well I, I don't think they put it like that they go oh, she's a bit weird and a bit arty a bit quirky <laughs> no but it sounds like this does run in the family though and I think it's so true I mean I, I think in the end that everyone is creative but it's so lucky when you have parents as you did who really encourage that and foster that yeah, I think child. more so. I think more so. My parents were very entrepreneurial, so mm. I, I suppose, coupled with my creativity, I've always had a sense of you just go out and try and make a living from doing mm. whatever you can. And um, my dad left uh, a company in the eighties to set up on his own, and. Between him and my mum, they thought, well, we'll need some sort of income. Let's buy a hotel. Wow. <laughs> it was a small hotel and we lived there. And it was awful. I mean, they'd never run a hotel before. We were three, me and my brother were three flights up. You know, never saw up. We'd had such an idyllic childhood until that point. <laughs> oh, no. uh, and um, 
<laughs> but during that time, you know, my mum set up her own catering business. She she ran this hotel. She set up a business. God, again, ahead of her time. She set up a business making and selling salted butterscotch. Really? Oh, yeah, that's made, made from the saline spa water because I it was in Leamington Spa and I used to go to these shows with her you know trying to sell the stuff and people would go oh salty toffee oh I don't think so it's like god wow she really was ahead of her time wasn't she yeah yeah I mean she did have a few but I remember she got an order from Liberties and that's really exciting Uh, um but yeah so I, I think for me the biggest thing that I've always been surrounded by on from my family is you know make things mm. make some stuff and go and sell it and work out how to get it places and and all that sort of thing yeah so. well and that's exactly what you've ended up doing too which yeah. <laughs> is amazing <laughs> so how did you make that transition then from being an actress working in the theater to really going back to painting and that becoming such an important part of your life? Well, it, it's not as cut and dried as that. No. Um, so uh, as an actor, and I have to say, I still moonlight as an actor oh. as well. <laughs> but it's um, but this has kind of taken centre stage, mm. pardon the pun, the, um, the photography and painting. But what happens as an actor mm is you have periods of unemployment. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) It's just how it is. Resting. Yeah, that might be two months. It might be two weeks. Mm. It might be six months. It might be three years. Mm -hmm. And you don't know Mm. when that's going to be. So in terms of going back to painting, I never left it. Mm. So I was always... Well, again... Like I was saying about making pencils, they used to tease me at RADA. (laughs) I was the only student who got the other students to pay for my living, my upkeep, because basically I knew when everybody's birthdays (laughs) and I made cards and I would go up to the canteen in the morning and I'd go, hey, you know, it's... um, you know, it's Amy's birthday today. And they go, oh, my God, I forgot. And I go, it's okay, I've got some cards here. Because we all had pigeonholes, you know. And But then someone pointed out to me about a year later, he said, oh, you always know when someone's forgotten your birthday because your pigeonhole's full of Philippa's cards. <laughs> oh, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, but also at drama school you're taught by professionals who work in the theatre as well and so you know within the theatre first night is a massive thing or Mm -hmm. press night and everybody gives each other cards presents all sorts of things so uh, um, I would be commissioned often by my tutors to create a bundle of cards or something which they could then give to the cast of something they were working on so um, so yeah even at RADA I was in my dressing room with my paints and scalpel and glue and sellotape and stuff. And then I remember working at Shakespeare's Globe. I have my sewing machine in the dressing room. Mm. So anyone who's known me as an actor, I, I don't think has ever separated the two really. Because, you know, I used to, then when I wasn't in work as an actor, I would, 
I'd sell stuff at markets. I had a store on Spitalfields Market. Mm. And so it was always a big part of my income when I wasn't acting. Yeah. Well, I think it's amazing how your creativity has just blossomed in so many ways. And then, of course, Instagram and photography came into all of this too. Would you tell me a bit about how that happened and how you've built this incredible (laughs) Instagram following? Well, you know, honestly, I don't have much expertise in all this, but... um, Again, I always it always comes back down to unemployment. <laughs> uh, um, basically, um, what was it? Two thousand. So yeah, no, actually, I've just done a big long acting job. I've probably been in work as an actor for about two years, solidly, mm-hmm. uh, um, from about two thousand and five to two thousand and seven. And I did a fantastic. I did a production that I loved. I was on tour, worked in Canada, and I came back home and life felt a bit empty mm. but I I was kind of still feeling very inspired about stuff and I'd, I'd taken lots of photos and things like that with my camera phone anyway a friend of mine said um, oh well maybe you should start a blog mm. and I was like oh I don't want to write anything I just want images can you have a blog with just images and she went oh yeah I think so anyway she sort of set it up for me and then she said, um, so, okay, what are you going to call your blog? I was like, what? You've got to call a blog something. <laughs> and she said, yeah. And I said, oh, I don't know, five foot inf. And where did that come and from? And she just looked at me. And um, so this theatre job that I'd just been in, I played a character called the Infant Phenomenon. Oh. And my nickname backstage was Inf. <laughs> and my height is five foot. And I think... One of my emails at the time had five foot in it. And I just went, oh, five foot. And she, she was like, oh, that's a bit weird. <laughs> and I went, oh, it's okay. I'll change it. I'll change it. And uh, <laughs> years later. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, I did. So, yeah, I had this blog and I just uploaded lots of photos. Nobody looked at it. It wasn't, I, I could sort of glean that there was some sort of blog community, which I really didn't feel part of. Um, but I did find some very visual beautiful kind of photographic blogs mm. and it was like oh this looks fun mm. and there was some sort of weird picture with a filter on it and a border and I sort of thought oh what's that I clicked on the link and it was Instagram oh. it was um February or March 2011 and um it's just a bit of fun <laughs> didn't I mean nobody was on it nobody in this country anyway yeah. I kept going oh quite fun I remember telling my best friend and she went oh let's have a look and she went on it I put a picture of my slippers or something which I think yeah, that is no longer on there and she was like oh Philly looked like something out of one flew over the cuckoos and you know it was nothing it was just some weird app yeah and so how did you start developing your own creative style on Instagram? Because, I mean, your photos are so distinctive now. Yeah, how did that um, start? I don't know. Just literally taking pictures every day, sitting at my table, looking out of the window and procrastinating <laughs> and kind of, you know, I had no money. I, was, I wouldn't buy, have enough money to buy flowers, so I would just go make sort of weird arrangements out of, anything I've always loved (laughs) ready steady cook and how people go oh there's nothing in the cupboards but let's see what we can make and so 
a massive part of my arrangements started from having nothing mm. and going, okay, there must be something. There must be some colours I can glean from the garden. Mm. And um, as I do that, take a bit of a photograph. With early bird, you had to take it through Instagram, the camera, which was rubbish. Oh, wow. I had an iPhone 3. And um, <laughs> so I think it was just, I like repetition. I do like repetition. Mm -hmm. So I think it's kind of, things grow if you do things over and over. Well, and you have such an eye too. And I mean, I love the way that you find beauty everywhere, even in common everyday objects or in unusual examples of architecture. I mean, often things that you wouldn't look at at first and think that's beautiful, but in the way that you capture something, you really do transform it into something that's so striking and so beautiful. And colour is always such a big part of that. Yeah. I know you have, is it synesthesia? Yes. Does that play into how you see the world, how you take these photos? I think it must do mm. uh, in terms of me being aware of textures and colours and all sorts. You know, it's not something that's just outside, it's inside as well. Mm. But um, in terms of the kind of beautiful, ordinary mm. things, I'm really pleased you brought that up as well because the book is full of pictures that you wouldn't associate necessarily with me. Oh. I'm thinking I've got, um, you know, pictures of a row of builders <laughs> next to a row next to a row of mopeds, you know. And I, because yes, I post what I do on Instagram, but I always take loads and loads of photographs of other things, and it's all about honing your eye, and mm. it's just going, well, that's that's the foundation of it's the foundation of looking just mm. look at stuff um what i would say is i get immense joy out of editing mm. so i might look at something and think oh look at the blues and look at the reflection that's a different blue on the window oh you take a picture of it and you go oh yeah, that's not that's not, <laughs> that's what, not it what it looked like, like. <laughs> no so the joy in editing for me is trying to capture what I felt and what I saw mm. when I see it. So if I enhance the reds of something, it's because that's what I feel. I go, oh, that's how they felt. They felt that red. That's not specifically anything to do with synesthesia, but that I think the synesthesia gives me, it gives me a sort of massive palette of mm. stuff that I know I can access, uh, um, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. And I'm I'm so excited about the book and these different images that you say you've included, I mean, as well as your more typical ones, because what I just love about what you do is I think you really do encourage people to see things in a bit of a different way. Oh, yeah, that's my big thing, because that is, well, I was mentioning my art teacher at A-level earlier. That is what she gave me. Yeah. And I you know, she has a dedication in the book as well, oh. because I, you know, those great teachers you have, mm. they give you something. And she gave me a different way of looking at the world. It was like I had never, she opened a portal mm. to looking at things differently. You go, oh my God, look at all those colours. It was like another layer of being. Mm. If I can give anything back, to anybody it's going you can see that mm. that's nothing special that's not having synesthesia that's not 
being able to draw mm. that is looking in a slightly different way yeah and I think I really want to kind of go that is possible it takes a bit of practice and concentration but when you look when you suddenly see things which have been right in front of you all your life in a different way it's amazing yeah and it sounds like your new book conscious creativity will really help people to develop their own eye and their own creativity in this way um is that the case is that what you were hoping to do yeah yeah I I want anybody who kind of is thinking I think I'm creative but oh I don't know I don't Mm. know or someone going oh yeah I'm creative let's have a look I want it to be open to everybody because I really believe that creative thought creative practice it can only benefit the world, can't it? Yeah. It's not just about going, oh, but we'll paint some pictures and I'll crochet a blanket. It's not that. It's just if you think more laterally and you go, oh, my God, I hadn't thought about that shape being matching that shape. Or I, I can only think that just thinking in a much wider, thinking and looking and seeing things in a much wider way mm not only means that creativity is inescapable, Mm. it's going to benefit everybody. (laughs) And I'm not saying my book is going to... But I I really do believe that, you know, connecting to creativity Mm. and acknowledging it, because I do believe everybody has it. We have to. as We start off life creative as babies. So I'm... I'm just going, oh, I want everybody to go, well, this is possible. Yeah. Not everyone's going to be able to, you know, become an architect or whatever. <laughs> but if it just means that you wander around the streets looking at things differently, yeah. it is going to lead to some other thinking or creative thought. It's just going to, it's just going to. Yeah, and I think that's such a it's it's such a satisfying feeling, and it helps you, I believe, grow as a person and understand both yourself and the world better when you start looking at things with a different eye. You start looking at things more creatively, and much as I love Instagram, there can be a lot of the same on the platform now, yeah. and so it's so refreshing to hear from someone who you know I always think you're so original and you do look at things differently and I think originality is such a big part of being creative as well you know it is about being able to see that bit differently from from someone else and trusting your own voice in that way when you say trusting your own voice I think that's what's hardest Mm. for people and um, feeling confident to do something a bit weird yeah I mean you know like like I said earlier my family thought "Mm, yeah a bit quirky (laughs) feels a bit weird Uh, um, and I I suppose I always have been I've always had a sort of massive sense of the way I see the world is right (laughs) that sounds very childish I don't quite think like that now (laughs) but I do I do kind of go but this is how it is isn't it and I don't I've never had a fear of not expressing myself in the way that I want to Mm. so I'm lucky like that but that's such a strength to have I mean I think you know that's that's wonderful (laughs) yeah and I and I can't exactly teach that because that's maybe a sort of personality thing but I think you can train yourself 
to be more confident about choices you're making rather than following the, the crowd. But you can only do that if you practice a sort of conscious observation mm. of what is around you rather than practicing conscious observation of what other people are doing. Mm-hmm. That's so true. I mean, it's not to say you shouldn't look at other people's work. I find other people's work immensely inspiring, mm. but it can be crippling. Yeah. As well. Yeah, I think it can be also quite overwhelming feeling when you see so many examples of other people's work. And sometimes yes. then it it almost quiets the voice within you. You know, you, you need to be able to tap back into that. Yeah, or, or you see it and you go, oh, yeah. Because like, a lot of the images that are kind of very similar are very good. Yeah. And, you know, you look at them and you go, oh, yeah, that's inspired a little thing. And then you do something and you don't even realise mm. that you're doing the same as everybody else. Yeah. And you know, I have, you know, I have that going on with me. I think, oh, I, oh, I want to go at that. I, what I do is, that I suppose, I don't, I don't always pose. I might have an experiment at something. Mm. I don't feel the need to share everything. Mm. Although I do share more on my blog, but that's curated as well, isn't it? But I like—I feel more free on my blog and with stories. I think, oh, I can do all sorts of... I can put a weird thing up or whatever. But yes, I think it's very... Um, I think finding the confidence to, like you say, trust your own voice, mm. that's, that's hard and that takes practice. And a conscious... It takes a sort of conscious way of looking at something and going am I doing that because of that oh my god there's all this stuff that I'm looking at well of course my image is going to end up the same if that's mm. all I'm looking at well it sounds like your book will be really fabulous for people who want to start developing their own visual eye would you mind reading an extract from it because I've been dying to have a preview yeah yeah I mean I write about um I write at the beginning of the book about obstacles that are quite difficult for people to overcome. They go, oh, I'm interested in creativity, but I haven't got the time. And and then some people get a bit bored and, <laughs> you know, then you get insecure and all that sort of stuff. Mm. And I have got a whole section on comparison assassination as well because I think we all suffer from that particularly in, you know, with social media yeah. now. However, I'm going to read a little bit from my section about time. Time holds a very particular place in creative practice. When you're working on a project, it often feels like one moment you've just had breakfast and the next moment you need to make supper. Time loses significance in the act of doing. Minutes can feel like hours in times of defeat. Time goes too quickly with an old friend and too slowly with an old bore. Time is something we all have to adhere to, but which is impossible to actually observe. We are only able to observe time in the context of space and things, nature and growth, and it's important to ascertain your own relationship to time. Whether you enjoy being totally immersed in an activity without interruption, or if you have a tendency to be more time-specific, it is crucial in both cases to allow yourself periods free from the standard constructs of time. For some, it will be space to work freely and comfortably, and for others, it will be an exercise in letting go of any guilt felt about time spent alone 
just to do something you love. Allowing yourself to become part of time and space with a simple, enjoyable, solitary activity can feel luxurious. But these time slips are definitely something to be encouraged and they always leave you with a sense of pride that you have been totally engaged in an activity. Rather than the world passing you by, in these periods, the world comes to you. Oh, that was brilliant. Thank you. I love that line about the world coming to you. And that's sort of the feeling you get when you enter like a complete state of flow, I find, when you're just so immersed in something that you're doing and you just forget about time. Yeah, that's absolutely what it's about. And it's basically trying to encourage because I do think when you can find that place that state of flow that's when at least for me I know that I can do my best work and it's when I feel sort of most creative um and you have to get through a few obstacles before or you have to kind of push through a few things sometimes before you can get into that state yeah exactly and I find it really interesting that Something you talk about too is the importance of daily creativity, that this should be maybe something you try to do every day. Why do you think that's important? I think it's about making a commitment to something. And I don't mean by being creative every day, you have to make something Mm. or, um, you know, but we can all have a thought, Mm. a creative thought, a conscious creative thought. and that's what it's about. It's about not ignoring, you know, sometimes when people go, oh, I've got, you know, I've got a really bad back. Mm. And um, you go, all oh, right. And they go, oh, yeah, I've had it for years. But, you know, just, you go, so what are you actually doing that's making the back? So you haven't really been aware that you've been doing something that's making the back back. What I'm saying is you've just got to be aware of creative impetus, mm. I suppose. And I think it's really important if you go, oh, I, I want to be creative, I want to be more creative or something, well, then you you have to make a commitment mm. to that. It doesn't happen by magic. You can't go on an online course and suddenly be it. Mm-hmm. It's a life thing. And I'm not saying you have to, you know, throw everything into it and practice it every day in a sort of, it's not about that. It's just going... There's amazing stuff right in front of your face. Mm. <laughs> have a look at it and just have a little moment of being conscious of, of the shapes of things or the colours of things. Mm. And if you want to take a photograph, if you want to write something down, that's good. But I think you have to keep doing stuff and not restricting yourself. Mm. I think that's what I mean by yeah. by. Um, practicing every day well because like you say I I believe too that we are all innately creative you know we are all born to be creative but that doesn't mean that you don't need to hone your own creative eye or that you you know don't have to work at it to a certain extent I mean it's almost a bit like a muscle and if you don't use it at all then you're out of practice you know you can't do something as well yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think, I can't remember which book I'm flicking through now. There's a bit where I talk about that and say, well, um, okay, I've put, like any other discipline across the board, creativity is something that needs to be practised and exercised. The more you engage with the practice, 
the more you will get from it and you will learn to trust your own way of doing things and your own way of seeing the world. Even if you feel chaotic, underprepared and underproductive at first, experimentation and questioning are never wasted and everyone at any level needs to practice. Doing things you don't want to do or don't like will often prove far more productive than constantly focusing on the things you find easy. The great thing about creativity is that pushing boundaries is so accessible and solutions are infinite. Mm. So do you think a big part of being creative is also then that willingness to move outside of your comfort zone? Oh, yeah, definitely. Is that something you push (laughs) yourself to do? Yeah, and it doesn't feel comfortable at all. (laughs) Just go, I don't really want to do this. I have a real thing. I have a bit of a kind of phobia about the underneath of boats. I know that sounds a bit of a weird one. But um, I have a bit of a boat, you know, being on a... I love the idea of being on a ferry or a cruise ship. It just makes me feel a bit ill uh, uh, for various reasons in my childhood. (laughs) Um, But I push myself to go near the underneath of boats and that partly came out of... I know that with painting... If I paint something, even abstract, that I feel something about, I don't know what happens, but it talks to people Mm. who are looking at that painting. Mm. Um, I painted a piece once. (laughs) It was when I was going through mediation during a divorce, and I used to sit in this sort of anti-room, waiting to be called in. I used to look at this room and think, God, the dimensions are amazing, and that door is incredible. I feel a bit weird. It was just kind of a weird experience. Anyway, I I decided to do a painting of this door. Mm. You know, it's quite abstract. I could have sold it. I was really embarrassed putting it up. I thought, well, everyone's going to know it's like from my weird time in mediation. (laughs) Obviously, they didn't. And I could have sold it so many times. People going, oh, I love it. And I thought, oh, my God. You know, I found it such an emotional thing to paint. And I thought, right, okay, I've got to investigate things I find emotional and difficult in terms of finding a way to express that. So going back to the underneath of boats, I push myself to go and find the beauty in them because I think they frighten me. Mm. So it's, um, I mean, that's just one example. There are all sorts of things which I, I push myself to. I like to think that if I was in a really bare environment, I'd still find something interesting to look at oh well I'm sure you will because I think that's just such a talent of yours that you really do find the interesting the remarkable the beautiful in even the most mundane things sometimes that you know people just wouldn't notice otherwise yeah there's a picture in the book of a <laughs> of a banana skin on a Oh, that's really powerful. I'm like, oh, it's just got such good yellow that matches that door. (laughs) Well, I can't wait to see the book and see that picture and look for it myself. I'm so excited that we'll be out in just a few days once this episode goes live. Um, It's been such a pleasure chatting to you, Philippa, but... Just before we end this, may I ask, what's next for you? Are there any upcoming events associated with your book or with your artwork that you're able to share at the moment? Well, I've got my book launch this week. Yeah, that'll be exciting. That's in Brighton. Uh, um, But I've also 
got my artist's open house. I've been doing artist's open houses for about 15 years. Mm. Um, and I have a Christmas one in November. So the 17th and 18th and the 24th and 25th. I show my paintings, my products, I'll have my book, but I also showcase other artists' work. So ceramics and um, yeah, other paintings and textiles and things. So yeah, oh. they're the up and coming things. That sounds lovely. Well, be sure to sort of put links to that in the show notes as well. Um, but if Teen Tattle listeners would like to keep up with your news. Where are the best places to find you online? So obviously on Instagram, that's my uh, that's my main home. <laughs> um, I'm five foot imp on there. Um, but I also have my website or my blog, which is fivefootimp.com. I'm so basically I'm five foot imp everywhere. <laughs> Wonderful. So, yes. Easy to find. <laughs> well, yeah. I'll put links to those in the show notes too. But this has been such a joy, Philippa. I've so enjoyed talking about creativity and your wonderful new book with you today. So thank you so much for coming on Tea and Tattle. That's a pleasure. That's it for this episode of Tea and Tattle. Thanks so much again to Philippa for her fantastic interview. Remember to check the show notes for photos as well as the link to pre-order Philippa's book, which is due out 15th November. You can find the show notes at tntattlepodcast.com forward slash home forward slash 94. If you've enjoyed this episode, I'd love it if you shared it with a friend who you think would like it too. You can also leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher if you're an Android user. And if you'd like to receive a handwritten thank you card from me, then simply email me a copy of your review along with your mailing address and I'll pop a card in the post. You can email me at tntattlepodcast at gmail.com or you can find me on Instagram at both Miranda's Notebook and Miranda's Bookcase. Thanks so much for listening. There's no Tea Reads episode this Friday as I'm travelling again, but be sure to tune in next Tuesday for another Tea and Tattle interview. Until then, keep well, be joyful and stay in touch. Thank you.